This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect. Hi, I'm Diane Burley. I'm Vice President of Content for LucidWorks. And what I love is to look at the people, the processes, and the technologies available and see how we can find a new way to solve a business problem. There's a gap between people and their data. You know, it's really become clear that from the global digital workplace to the digital commerce experience, companies everywhere need to build powerful search and data discovery solutions for employees and customers just to stay competitive. Coming up, the VP of content for LucidWorks, a leader in cognitive search with an AI-enabled internal and external search solution, talks with Rob Sanchez on location at Etail East in Boston, covering how companies can bridge the gap between people and their data. You're listening to Retail is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the retail industry. Recorded on location. It's great to be with you here at Etel. Um, Thank you so much, Rob, for having me. Yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit about what you're working on. Uh, I am VP of Content for LucidWorks. We're an AI-powered search company out of Silicon Valley, and uh, I come out of publishing. So my role at LucidWorks is to explain how augmented intelligence or artificial intelligence works, how people can benefit from it. Uh, how search can solve so many different problems for organizations of all sizes. Uh, and we, we try and do it in a way that's educational and non-threatening and really breaks it down so that people can make good decisions on where they want to take their organizations. What are you seeing being the biggest impact that augmented search or AI power search is having inside of organizations? One of the things that uh, people are doing is uh, – they're they're trying to in in commerce, for example, they obviously want to improve the customer experience. Uh, they want to improve it when a person comes to the site and they use that search box. Did you know, like a third of the time, people go to the search box, and only twenty percent of the time they're actually going to find something. Eighty oh, really? percent of the time, they find nothing. So, guess yeah. what happens? They leave. So we can um, help commerce companies see that immediate lift if you can now make that first touch, which is the search box, that much more powerful. People think of search as only the search box, whereas when you're using these algorithms, you can start to anticipate what others, what people might be looking for. So for example, um, I'm in the market of, of selling information, if you will, to people that want to learn more about uh, LucidWorks or how uh, the Internet of Things and, and artificial intelligence might work together. So we'll have articles like that throughout the site. When they're done reading it, what should be the next article that would be most related to that? And so that that becomes another way that search can power that experience. Interesting. So you, 
Basically, you're seeing search as a almost a back-end recommendation engine at times. It is a, a back-end recommendation engine, especially if you – what we do, our secret sauce is using signals. So signals is another way of saying user behavior. Um, most user behavior, people are buying that data, and then they're doing it all offline. But what we're doing is capturing the data, so what you click on, what you don't click on. When you do a query rewrite, so you type it one way and then nothing comes – you know, yeah. you don't get find what you're looking for, so then you rewrite the query. Um, normally, those tasks right now are being done by companies, and you know, these are people that have gone to college and they have their multiple degrees, and they're over there pouring through log files, looking at all the typos and synonyms, and then they try and pull that together uh, to make that experience better. So we're taking away some of that tedium mm-hmm. that folks are seeing. The other way we're seeing um, companies be helped. And this is this. I think a lot of commerce people don't think of it this way. They think about search as being transactional on their website. But what about what happens when you call up the company up on the phone? Do they know this is a loyal customer calling? Do they know what their back um, their history is? So we want to empower the individuals that are within the organization, whether it's point of sale, or customer service, or customer support, somebody who has to take returns. Do they have all this information? at their fingertips. So you do you have a single dashboard or are you going in and out of 15 different uh, sites, you know, logging in, remembering your password and, you know, hoping that the internet hasn't died and, you know, finding that information. To so s- you're working in both directions and yes, internally. In, and, yeah. So it, we could, it, that's internal search mm-hmm. versus um, the transactional search. When you start um, integrating inside of a company, how much of it is learning the systems that they already have in place and and sitting on top of that? And and how much is, I guess, like standardization of information? That's a really great question. Um, The integration is the the first thing that we do. And when you're saying standardization, do you mean standardization of the data types? Yeah, do you have to go in and sanitize um, you know, it's always good to know the data, but what we find is that machine learning can help smooth out a lot of that um, because mm-hmm. the, the algorithms are clustering information. So it doesn't necessarily know what it's looking at, but it sees this behavior that, you know, when people or individuals or data types did this, they also did that. Yeah. So, so you require then um, basically a training period for the algorithms. It, you always want to be uh, tweaking and, and looking at, at the results of that data. Uh, and again, I think that's one of the nice things about our product is that we are an open box. So it's a, we call explainable AI. So the, the algorithms are actually tweakable. Mm-hmm. You can tweak it. You're using your own data. You can have your own data scientists change out. So we ship with uh, machine learning algorithms, but you can use your own or like, or something in between. There are solutions out there that are what we call black box. So you don't have any control over that. You're not tweaking and training. So what you're probably going to do is put another rule in mm-hmm. to make an exception. But how many thousands yeah. of rules yeah. can you remember that it's like you the have? English in language, right? Like exactly. It's just all exceptions. So. Exactly. Yeah. Another exception. Yeah. So and then you start finding yourselves tripping over exceptions, right? So you're you're potentially dis- discarding data that you shouldn't, or um, sending mm-hmm. people down paths that. Um, are not where you want them to be. Okay. Do you completely separate out the internal search and the external search? Are they different products or is it an integrated product? And how is it just like what portal you go to or more general than that? No, it's, we have one platform that 
is the search, the NoSQL, um, and the AI all built into uh, into uh, the platform. So mm -hmm. uh, companies can use what they currently have, just have us augment on the search and the results and, and go through. So like our website uses WordPress, and so we're just calling out to Fusion and getting the results um, delivered through the same interface that we know how to use on the back end. Yeah. Um, organizations can also decide to build their own applications on top of it, and and then they offer a completely bespoke uh, experience. But it's mm -hmm. the same product. It's the use cases just change. Okay. So you actually can be an integrated solution mm -hmm. as part of a bigger package. Absolutely. So, okay. Um, what do you think is shifting right now in this landscape at AI has been around for a while. Search has been around for a while. We've sort of trained people to think in terms of Google search results. Um, it, I can't remember where I heard this, but someone was saying that like everyone from a younger generation automatically knows how to type their queries. But if you go below that, they've kind of lost it. So like really young kids today don't write for Google. Um, and then those of us who like trained on that kind of do, um, where do you see search going and where do you see AI going? Well, I think one of the things that's happening with search, uh, especially when it's commingled with AI is you've got data scientists and you have search architects and they don't necessarily know each other's world. Yeah. Right. So data scientists don't understand that there are components built into search, the fuzzy logic, the stemming, those types of things that make the results so strong. Yeah. And the search side doesn't understand that the algorithms will actually help make it even more relevant. So you, you've always had this dance of, you know, I want a, a lot of recall, right? I want a lot yeah. of results coming back, but only the results that matter. So that's yeah. your, um, you know, how, how, what's the precision of that? So I think you're going to see greater precision going forward. I also think people are looking for, and this is something you see with Google now, is you want the answer. You don't want just the search. Right. So you don't want just a list of links. You actually want the snippet that says, you know, what is e-commerce? Well, here it is. This is the definition. You don't want to have to go pouring through all these journals to find it. We can yeah. do that within an organization. So, you know, what the quarterly reports, you know, what, what is the, this number? So being able to query data and get the answers back instead of, you know, oh, here's the report. It's a PDF. Go read it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know? It's on page 37. It's on, yeah, exactly. It. Yeah. Um, um, the, I think the other thing that that's happening is that, and this is a little bit harder problem to solve, but the natural language aspect of it. You know, mm -hmm. we're all being trained by Siri and Amazon to just say, hey, play this song by such and such, or who won the World Series? And, you know, and, and we want to be able just to ask a question. We're not yeah. doing Boolean searches anymore. Um, that this, was the term I was thinking of. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And search so, needs to know yeah. that. They need to know what it is that a person. So if you say, um, is my partner uh, eligible for my car insurance? It covered by my car insurance, you know, partner, significant other, spouse, yeah. they all have to be, yeah. we have to know that that's is it what it is. So it's a partner, is it? Yeah. It's yeah. this natural language understanding that mm -hmm. has, is taking place now. Okay. Um, what's kind of pushing that, do you think? Is, is it a lot of contextual learning that's going on? Is it um, the way that we're handling and parsing words themselves? What's kind of the science behind that? What are people looking at? Well, 
I was asking my kids if they diagrammed sentences in sixth grade and they looked at me, so I guess they're not anymore. So, yeah. But if you remember the days when you actually had to diagram a sentence and how hard it was, machines can do that much more easily. Yeah. Uh, so machines can parse and they can create a semantic graph and begin to understand that this means that and um, you know that, that helps a lot with that understanding. So mm-hmm. you know, otherwise, these are really tedious manual problems that are solved and or addressed, I should say, addressed and solved in commerce. Mm-hmm. Because if you type in handbag and you, you know, they call it purse or bag, they want you to find it. So they're yeah. going to take that extra effort. But do they do that within an enterprise? Yeah. So that when you're seeking information from your colleagues and they've termed it one thing and you're calling it something else, can you find it? Yeah, that's that cross-division silo yes, issue. Yes, that yeah. is. And and in the past, they never really worried about that. Yeah. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network. And find prior episodes wherever the best podcasts are found. It's interesting how, like, as we get to multi-channel and multi-seller and and there's so many different ways that products are being distributed that the differences in specialties is really starting to show up as a friction point and so it's interesting to start thinking about how we can tackle that with language Um, are you thinking beyond just the search aspect from that point of view are you thinking about like building automated dashboards and those sorts of things or is that more on what the user's behavior can be these are excellent questions um we have a roadmap that's going to have some really cool stuff over the next six months that we'll be showing but i think what fundamentally we have to understand that search is an application applications are search Mm -hmm. um what is a report but somebody putting through, well, what's this, what's that? And so those could be automated calls going out and just populating that, that data automatically. So it can easily be a dashboard. Um, the next question is, you know, and at the same time, nobody wants to learn a, a brand new interface so that the, the closer the technology can mimic the workflow that a person is already doing, mm-hmm. the more it's going to be adopted and uh, the better the experience. Yeah. So you really can't replace, you have to augment um, as you're rolling out inside of an organization. I think you're, I think you're always thinking in terms of improving the process. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're not improving the process, if you're just creating something new and complicated, then, then why bother? Uh, I, th- I think that's one of the things about technology that's so much fun is how do you match the functionality, uh, the efficiency of technology with the humans and we're all flawed, right? We have our, our biases and so on. Yeah. But what we don't want to do is burden them with, with new processes. We want to, mm-hmm. we want to take some things off their shoulder so that they can use their expertise at what they're really great at. Do you find, um, this is maybe like a deeper question that maybe you haven't been tackling, but, um, I remember back in the day I automated most of my job at one of my jobs, um, just to see if I could. And, um, I was supposed to make recommendations on purchase orders and I was able to just like create an Excel spreadsheet that did that all for me. And all I had to do is enter sales numbers at one point and it would just run. Um, are you able to automate aspects of jobs like ordering and things like that so that a human moves from doing the work to doing the discretion component? Well, isn't that 
what they should be doing. Yeah. I mean, do we really, why did you automate that? You automated it because it was tedious and boring and yeah, not yeah. interesting, right? But if you're going to be a tastemaker, somebody who's going out there and determining the next trend, you should be able to analyze what you're, the, the data and now say, hey, this is where I want to suggest we go down this path. So I think that that's a perfectly wonderful way of, of looking at where I think jobs should go. They, let's get rid of the tedium of going through the log files or doing the mundane test. And really, a lot of the challenges are the routinization is really not um, paralleling what a person needs to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And so you're making people create a routine around something that's almost not natural. Okay. So yeah, get rid of that. Yeah. Take away that friction, like you said, and, and let them do what they really excel at. What big shifts do you see coming as a result of this technology? How do you think it's going to impact the way that the workforce works? Uh, you know, I think, I think that we, we all work full time and don't work full time. We work many more hours than full-time because again, we're doing a lot of things that are, um, over, you, you know, trying to, we were laughing, trying to put a new purchase order through or something like that. And just all the steps you have to do to just do that so that you can do what you really need to do. Yeah. Um, if we can eliminate that, do we just smooth out our lives a little bit? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think what we're finding with millennials is they do want that work-life balance that, you know, all of us probably should have sought for years and years and years. And yes, they're teaching us a grand lesson that, you know, a 40 hour work week probably is enough. Yeah. <laughs> let's get it all done. Let's be productive. Let's um, do our thing and let's do it. But also let's have, let's treat our customers well. Let's have the right information for our customers so that they don't get frustrated so that they get the right answer the right time. They don't have to make five phone calls back to the company to, you know, sort of triangulate and figure out well, which one's the real truth here. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a, that's a big, and I don't think anybody gives wrong information. I think they're blocked from seeing the right information yeah. and, and that's some of the things we're trying to help smooth out. Best use case I have for that was, um, Lowe's. We, uh, we ordered carpet for our studio and ran into this issue where they've been using a Manhattan store to test inventory systems. And at one point, after the installers had shown up twice without the proper deliveries, um, the recommendation was actually to go to Home Depot to finish the order. Wow. <laughs> and that was all like the, the guy I was working with was trying his hardest and there was literally no physical way he could complete an order to my satisfaction. There was just, he couldn't get the right product there. He couldn't, he didn't know what was in stock. He couldn't manage anything and it wasn't on him. Right. And it's interesting because then it also, it puts the employees in that position of taking the friction. Absolutely. I mean, you think of the airlines when there's a, you know, I'm watching the impending storm coming into Boston yeah. today, you know, wondering, oh, is it going to be, my flight going to be canceled again? You know, and you, you're, the people that are behind the counter are trying to give you information, but they only have partial view into what's available. So I think the ability to give, give, um, customer service people, the, the ability to add value and, and yeah. not create new friction is, is going to be really helpful Yeah, for society yeah. at large, I think. <laughs> yeah. Not much, many of us have much patience for a, a lot of, uh, for extra friction, right? <laughs> um, well, any final thoughts that you want to leave with, um, anything that you want to share? Yeah, I'd say it, we're here at a retail show, and I know it's really obvious to think in terms of, um, you know, making sure that you're 
online presence is wonderful and you can look at your average order value and are we doing great conversions and we can hit all those metrics for you. But let's not forget that your brand reflects all the touch points. So it's not just online. You've removed the friction online. Terrific. What about the folks internally? You know, Mm -hmm. is your customer service team, are they as up to speed on everything and all the new policies and the abilities and can they find the carpet at the right store? You know, let them have the same access to all the information that's necessary to guide the customer and and have that great customer experience. Same goes with in-store. So, you know, there's this whole idea of creating a better customer experience really needs to go throughout the entire organization through all channels. So almost flipping the, the thought of internal, it's a different customer, but it's still a customer. Exactly. And I think if corporations viewed their employees that way, yeah. it would also be helpful. Um, interesting. So just thinking about how you're a customer of information, you're a customer of um, process, you're a customer of communication and so on. Yeah, that, that is an interesting shift in mindset. Um, yeah, and I think if we look at the digital workplace going forward, we're going to see that you know people are going to spend less time hunting for information. The most successful companies will need to figure out two things. One, they're seeing a tremendous surge of boomers who are retiring, right? So you've yeah. got those knowledge workers who they already they know what to do in every given situation. And yeah. that's not something that they've written down. They just implicitly know what to do. How are you going to harness that knowledge? Yeah. And then on the other end of the coin, you've got the millennials, the millennials who have this great work-life balance, and they also won't hang around if anything's too silly. So um, you don't want to lose those knowledge workers. So what are companies going to do? The most successful ones are going to have to figure out a way to harness that knowledge from yeah. the folks that are looking to retire so that they can maintain a frictionless uh, environment for folks that are already there. Yeah. It's interesting. So we actually, we tackle some of that through podcasts doing internal communications work and we call it the straw into gold problem, which is that all the processes have this byproduct of information. If you've been there for a long time, you've just, you have stores of information that's useless because there's no way to, no mechanism to share it. So what we've been working with companies on is how do you actually capture that and filter it back and turn it into something that's at least documented. Your spun gold, is that yeah, what you call exactly, it? I love yeah. it. I love it. That's great. Yeah, and that's yeah. exactly what we're doing. So we're, we're working with, with big corporations in trying to pull that knowledge together. Uh, and that that's, again, you know, it really takes a, a strong visionary C-suite to go, this is really important because otherwise people are stuck in, well, what's the ROI? Right. The minute you start doing that, you know, I don't know how we ever got central air conditioning and heating. Uh, can you imagine somebody would have said, what's the ROI? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, that is interesting. It, it kind of gets killed when it's going up the chain. Yeah. Um, it's got to come from it's, the top down. It's yeah. got to come from the top down. Yeah. And, um, the interesting thing about that too, is that it's just culture, right? Like at the end of the day, it's a, you either have a culture of communication or you don't and looking at it that way. So what you're doing is automating the process or speeding up the process of putting that culture in place. But if the desire is not there, 
you may not even take that step. Oh, you, you can't take the step if the culture's not there. You know, and if and you know, one of the bigger issues too is that people get guarded about information. Yeah. People get worried about sharing information. So you have to be able to see that it is spun gold. Yeah. And that if you add your information to someone else's information, you create something bigger. Yeah. Instead of I'm gonna keep mine. Yeah. Really good. Um yeah, any final piece of uh, nugget of information you want to do? Or otherwise, I'm going to ask a personal question. So, Go ahead. Um, I love to hear about where people came from. So for you, um, you're in this role. You're working on communication. You're working in artificial intelligence and so on. I'd love to know from when you were in elementary school, when, when was a moment where learning and, and sharing information with other people kind of had a huge impact on you? I wanted to be a reporter since I was, I, don't, I think it was in fourth grade. Um, the teacher had us line up in the room and a handful of us were reporters and it was some historic event. I don't know, it was the anniversary of the Titanic or something. So we had to interview, you know, the survivors. And from that moment on, I wanted to be a journalist and a reporter. And, and it really, and I did, I went into editorial and covered business and technology and mm-hmm. would watch how technology could augment efforts, human efforts, um, the, the creative effort, the, the mundane efforts, uh, the mechanical efforts. Uh, and so I think for me, um, it was natural to continue moving in that direction. Um, the, the next thing, I was putting daily newspapers on the web in 1995, so that's a long yeah. time ago. How to store that information. I don't mean store like a physical store, but you don't want to put it into a basement where you can't find it again. Right. How do you classify it? How do you, you know, back then we were tagging, tagging yeah. and classifying, but it was more than that. And so um, getting involved with companies that did um, text analysis and semantic yeah. analysis. OCR. Became, yeah, it was day. just the next yeah. There's yeah. been this evolution, you know, and then I joined yeah. LucidWorks a year ago. And actually, it's been fun because I've been able to bring in my journalistic background. Because, yeah. You know, we'll talk about explainable AI versus black box AI. And we're not talking about LucidWorks. We're just talking about, you yeah, know, the differences. So, yeah. yeah, it's fun. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. This has been a really well, interesting conversation. Yeah, yeah, I've enjoyed it. Thank you so much. So for Rob Sanchez, good night, y'all. This has been Retail Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2019. Your brand message can be on this show. Email us to find out more at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect. Connect.